0: in the body of Christ, and that was not healthy. The first reason, second. It was a letter to thank the church for supporting Paul as a missionary. The church at Philippi was one of the most generous churches in financial support to the Apostle Paul. Whatever he asked for, whatever he needed, they were there to meet the need. Paul presented them as a model of giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The theme of the book that he writes to them is very personal and the word joy is often used. Around 17 times the word joy is used in some fashion. That's pretty significant for him to use that word joy. How much joy could it be to be persecuted, to be shipwrecked, to be bitten by a snake, to be an outcast? How much joy could it be to be let down on the side of the house so no one could see you or catch you? How much joy could it be to be mocked at and made fun of? And yet he writes this letter of joy, and he writes it further from prison. He's in jail in Rome for his faith. How could there be so much joy that you would write a letter like this? So Paul talks to the church of Philippi, and he says, This is why I have joy. And he says to them kind of in a way, Don't run my joy. They ask him, Paul, you know that we love you. You know that we want to take care of you. But there is people saying what you're saying is not true. They follow Christ for the wrong reasons. They want money. They want prestige. They want acknowledgement. And this can't be right, Paul. Surely you don't want this. And Paul says to them, don't think that way. He says, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached And he says, even if a guy preaches it falsely or for the wrong reasons, he says the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. And for that, I am grateful. And for that, I am thankful. Because when that gospel is preached, somebody will be saved. But Paul, you're writing from prison, man. Why are you writing from this prison? How can you write about joy and thanksgiving and happiness and be where you're at? Why are you doing this? Surely God is not with you because you're in prison. And he says, don't take this from me. I knew when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, he told me the trials and tribulations and the things that I was going to go through, and this was for his glory. He saved my soul and he changed my life and he turned me around and he said, this is the way I want to use you. Don't take that from me. God has used me to spread his gospel to the Gentile nation so that you Philippians can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Sure, I lived up there in high society. But all of it was worth it when I came to Jesus. I'll lose everything. I will sack everything that I have. I will sacrifice my reputation and who I am. If one person would accept Jesus Christ as Savior, I'll lay it all aside for him and for his glory. Don't take that from me, church, he says. Paul offers three examples of those who are being humble. I'll miss the last two first and then the one that I really want to talk about. He mentions Timothy as being one who's humbled himself and has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior to look to him as an example. Paul was going to send Timothy to them. And Ephroditus, both of these guys are mentioned in chapter 2 as men who lived their lives separate from the world who was willing to give up all their reputation so that one person could be saved. And then he mentions the most important person of all, That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is all about the Lordship of Christ and how he served as the chief example of what it means to be humble and serve God. Now this morning I'm going to get into some crazy words and things that just, it drives me nuts because I don't fully understand what he's trying to say. So please bear with me. Because this is a hard passage. But Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. And what it means for one to sacrifice everything he is for the sake of somebody else. After all, that's our theme for Lent. I will turn something over to God to say that I love you. But what am I willing to sacrifice of myself that it's my right to do that. What am I willing to lay aside for the sake of of my brother. And Paul says, "Not only think of me, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, but think of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as this ultimate example of humility." Paul applies this lesson of humility before he states how it's worked out. He says, "Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus." And he explains what the mind of Christ was in the following verses. First, Jesus was in the form of God. This describes Jesus' pre incarnate existence. We must remind ourselves that Jesus did not begin his existence in the manger at Bethlehem, but Jesus Christ is the eternal God. And Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, he did not cling to the prerogatives of his privileges of deity. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to achieve equality with the Father. He had it, but he chose not to cling to it. His divine nature was not something he had to seek for or acquire, but it was his already. Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I raise the dead. I heal the sick. I forgive sins. And they said, who can do this but God? So Jesus was equal with God. He'd done the works of God. He'd done the things of God. But he didn't cling to that. He didn't hold on to that as his right or as his presence. I am God, and who are you to question me and do the things you do to me? He didn't hold on to that prerogative where he could just zap a man if he wanted to. He didn't do that. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. Jesus' incarnation was essentially a self-emptying. Even as a king, by laying aside the tokens of his royalty and putting on the habit of a merchant, when all the while he ceases not to be a king or the highest in his own dominion. That is to say, kings back in the day, same thing as politicians, right? Our leaders, they fly to other countries, They represent the United States. They go around to be around the common man in the United States. How am I doing to the people that I serve, they would ask. I am the leader of the country. I am the king of the nation. I'm going to step off of my throne and go down to my people and see how they're living and see how they think of me and how I can help my people. But you think when the president goes out, he goes out by himself? I bet that joker's got CIA all around him. You just don't know it. He don't go out by himself. There's somewhere he has protection. He has a cadre or it's been set up before, before he leaves his throne and goes out to meet the people. He still is the king. He still is the president. He still has that right and that authority. The kings in those days would show you the ring when they talk to you. Don't forget, I'm the king. Don't forget, I'm the president. Don't forget, I'm the leader of this country. Jesus Christ never done that. He never once done that. He made himself of no reputation. He set aside all the glory of heaven, all the reign of heaven, everything that he was rightly given, he set it aside to come down and to be with men. How did Jesus empty himself? By taking the form of a bondservant, Jesus did not empty himself of his deity or any of his attributes or his equality with God. He emptied himself into the form of a bondservant, not merely the form of a man. By coming in the likeness of men, this further describes how Jesus emptied himself. We can think of someone who is a servant, but not in the likeness of men. Angels are servants. But not in the likeness of man. Jesus came to serve mankind. Not just to walk as a man and be like a man like maybe you and I. We just go about our lives and we do our daily thing. Jesus came to serve mankind. What was the extent of this self-emptying that our Lord did? Jesus humbled himself when he became obedient. This was something that Jesus could only experience by coming down from the throne of heaven and becoming a man. When God sits enthroned in heaven's glory, there is no one he has to obey. Jesus had to leave heaven's glory and be found in appearance as a man in order to become obedient. He was God. He created the heavens and the earth. He created mankind. He answered to nobody at any given time because he is God. But he took himself from that place and said, I'm going to come and serve man. And how will I serve man? I will become obedient to my father. This is what the Lord Jesus done. One key to his obedience on earth was the endurance of suffering. This again was something that he could only learn by experience after he became flesh. As it is written, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Hebrews 5 and 8. I'm about to read a whole list of things talking about the humbleness of Jesus. But for the king of glory. To come down and to be ridiculed, made fun of, beaten, mocked, and abused. And to say, I'm not going to do my rights as the king of glory. I'm going to live here where God has called me. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to serve. And I'm going to do what he's asking me to do. He was humble that he took the form of a man and not a more glorious creature like an angel. He was humble in that he was born into an obscure, oppressed place. He was humble in that he was born into poverty amongst a despised people. He was humble in that he was born a child instead of coming right out as a man. He was humble in submitting to the obedience appropriate to a child in a household. How would you like to discipline the Lord Jesus if you was his mom or dad? I'm going to whip you with that willow switch. Go ahead, brother. I'm the one who made the switch. Yet he listened to his mom and dad. He was humble in learning and practicing a trade and a humble trade of a builder. You would have never got Brian Jebedon to take up a trade. I'd ask for some gold out of the fish. Don't worry, mom and dad. We'll take care of this. We ain't never going to work again. Jesus didn't do that. He took up a trade and he learned. He was humble in that uh, the long uh, wait until he launched into public ministry. He was humble in the companions and disciples he chose. He was humble in the audience he appealed to in the way he taught. He was humble in the temptations he allowed and endured. He was humble in the weakness, hunger, thirst, and treadness he endured. He was humble in his total obedience to his heavenly father. He was humble in his submission to the Holy Spirit. He was humble in choosing, submitting to the death of the cross. He was humble in the agony of his death. He was humble in the shame, mocking, and public humiliation of his death. He was humble in enduring the spiritual agony of his sacrifice on the cross. To the point of death, even the death of the cross. This states the extent of Jesus' humility and his obedience. He was willing to go to the cross for another person. He never once said, I am God. Why are you treating me like this? I'm the one who made you and created you. I reign in the heavens. This is what the false gods did. Hercules and all those dudes. They just waxed them when they wanted to. When they didn't like what they did, they would come after them. But our God did not do that. He said, I'm going to go to that old rugged cross for you. Keep saying what you want. Keep doing what you want but I am here to serve you. Crucifixion was such a shameful death that it was not permitted for Roman citizens such as the people of Philippi. A victim of crucifixion was considered by the Jews to be particularly cursed by God. The death of the cross is the bottom rung in the ladder from the throne of God. Jesus came all the way down to the most despised death of all, a condemned criminal on the accursed cross. Even the death of the cross shows that there's no limit to what God will do to demonstrate his love and saving power to man. This was and will forever be the ultimate. All of this was a great display of the power of Jesus. Because of Paul's past experience among the Philippians, they were tempted to think of God's power as being expressed only in exaltation and deliverance, and not in terms of glorifying God through humble service and endurance. You remember in the book of Acts when they preached the gospel, signs and wonders and miracles came to people's lives. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They ran all around. They spoke in different languages, and the church took off. And they said, surely this must be God's work. But Paul said, don't look at all that. Look in humble obedience of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what he went through. Look what I went through. Look what Timothy went through. Look what Ephrathus went through. They went through suffering. They went through hardship so that God could use them for his glory. I'm the example, Paul says. These two men are the example. But Jesus Christ is the ultimate example. In this, Paul reminded the Philippians that his current place of humble circumstances, being in a Roman prison, could still show forth the glory and power of God, even as Jesus did in his humility. Paul says, don't take it away from me, man, what God has done in my life. Nobody wants to be in pr- prison. Nobody wants to be hungry. Nobody wants to be made fun of or mocked or abused. Nobody wants that. But he said, We've done it for the glory of God. Who shall I send? God says in Isaiah. Jesus, the word of God says, here I am, send me. I will lay it all aside. I will set it all down. If one person would know my father, if one person would come to him, I would deny my rights and everything that I am and everything I have the ability to do, if one person would accept the Savior. I can think of no better place to continue Lent Then on Communion Sunday, right here, represents the sacrifice that was made for you and for me. Don't you remember how good God has been to you? How he saved your soul, how he touched your life, how he turned you around? how he made you new, how he made you right, how he wanted to work in your life, that he has made a change in you and he has made a change in me. This is what he died for, to make us right with him. He came to us in the form of a bondservant. He died for us. He called us to follow him and to love him alone. If he is our example, if he did not claim his own rights, if he left those rights and said, I'm willing to put aside my rights. Why should I not put aside my rights as a believer for the sake of my brother? And to say, I don't want to hurt you in your faith. I don't want to harm you. But I want to walk with you. I want to go with you. And let's work as one. This is what Christ Jesus has done for us. This is what here is symbol before our eyes today. The sacrifice he made for us. Why would we not want to make the sacrifice for somebody else? It is in humbleness. It is in obedience and in the sacrifice that God touches us the most. It's good to be on that mountaintop, dude. I love being up there when everything's going just right. Nobody's fighting or bickering in the family. The money's coming in right. All of our prayers seem to be working right. Nobody in the house is sick. Everything's going good. Praise the Lord Jesus. I can't wait to get to the house of God and thank him for all that he's done. Everything's going your way. But then when you hit that trial, when you hit that temptation, and you really hit it hard, you say, wait a minute, man. Where are you now? And you don't sense or see that he's using you because we base him using us and all the things that are right around us, man. But when the things are hurting, when the things are down and out, and deep down you're really questioning your faith in him, you know that you love him, you know that you want to serve him, and you know that you want to follow him, but you're finding it truly hard, that's when his grace is working through you. That's when his mercy is working through you, and that's when he wants to use you the most. Paul says, don't take what I'm going through and make it what it ain't. This is for the glory of God. Jesus says, I'm not going to take my rights over you. Even though I made you and even though I created you, I will not declare my rights as the king of glory. Instead, I will serve you, I will love you, and I will die for you. I would to God that we would do the same thing for our brothers and sisters to reach out to them in humbleness and submissiveness to the king of glory that the kingdom of God would be extended. And it all starts right here when we receive in symbol what he done on our behalf. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I come to you this first Sunday of Lent to thank you in Jesus name for what you done on the cross. We've all dedicated, beginning on Ash Wednesday, something to you for your glory and for your honor. And we ask you, Lord, on this journey of these 40 days, that you would overshadow us, protect us, and help us through these 40 days to do what you're asking us to do. And it's just our way to say thank you for what you've done on the cross. Hear our prayer this morning, Lord. Guide us in this day. And just as Paul and Timothy and Aphrodite was examples, let us follow the ultimate example, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who died for us, the one who we think about and honor this morning. I ask you, Lord, to hear this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.